It all started on a Tuesday in March. If George hadn't introduced me to Alice... Let's not do anything cheap and meaningless. Okay, what do I owe you? If she hadn't been so spectacular, maybe I wouldn't have gotten so loaded that night. In ten minutes, I'll be as good as new. And none of this would have happened. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, today is episode number 43. Uh, my name is John. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Cor- uh, Curtis. Hello. Quinn. Hey, guys. And we have a special guest joining us this week. Uh, welcome, Simon, to the program. Thanks All for right. Joining Thank us. you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. So you and Curtis go back. We were just talking before the show. You guys are like legendary posters. Uh, you guys met through uh, some of these classic movie like Facebook groups that I, I see Curtis is always uh, uh, tends to post on all the time. Uh, so so what's the background that how did you guys sort of meet and kind of connect, you know, via via Facebook? Well, we uh, we, we bonded over uh, the movie Mandy, um, which is one of my favorite. That's a fun one. Time. Yeah. And we were defending it against the the naysayers who just pose to be contrarian, you know, the trolls, oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's too slow or it's not violent enough or it's not, you know, it's not. I went, not I went a three-way ch- chainsaw duel or something, you know. Right, right. And uh, come to find out that uh, Curtis uh, is living in Germany. I lived in Germany for a little while, um, almost moved there. Uh, he's also from the same puny town in New Hampshire, uh, Litchfield. I'm talking small, like really, really small. Blink and you miss it. Yeah, it's, like, it's like a Hamlet. So, yeah. Uh, and let's see. He's got an ex girl. He had an ex girlfriend at the time over in New Mexico. Uh, I, I went to school in New Mexico. It was all these like all these weird factors that kept piling on. Yeah. It was like this this cosmic coincidence that we him and I met. <laughs> so uh, we've been good friends. Like ever Step brothers moment. You're like, are you exactly yeah. exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, brother from another mother type thing um and we have just had a lot in common um since then yeah we watch movies sometimes too so it's really nice to have him on too so we've been friends for a while too and i've been saying simon we got to get you on and i said tonight's the night so uh you know hopefully you'll have him on for a few more too yeah i I had a cold too just like i just like you john um hope you guys feel better (laughs) rough yeah i'm better now we got lots of exciting just surviving we had lots of exciting news. So, I mean, Quinn, it's great to have you back too. We haven't seen you in a while too. And you have some exciting news, yeah. I think. Great. Yeah. Great to be back, man. Uh, what did a nice date day with my wife today. And I think we were talking about maybe heading to Boston in September for our anniversary. So oh, cool. looking up flights and places to stay and might end up going to Fenway park, seeing a ball game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I never been to Boston. So we were talking about that today. So that's pretty exciting. But yeah, super happy to be back. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess before we get into it today, like uh, Simon, like we always like to ask our guests kind of like what kind of movies they're into or genre or just subgenre. Is there a specific type of genre you like, uh, Simon, or are you just like assorted films? What sort of, uh, um, what got you into films? It's it's always been uh, probably horror movies that got me into films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I, I grew up in the 80s, so I, uh, I was part of the peak of the vhs boom and the local video store so uh i'm still clinging on to the 80s 70s and 80s movies particularly you know grindhouse movies from the 70s uh i like a lot of the italian stuff there's still so much i haven't seen and i like a lot of the the kind of trashy grindhouse like taiwanese 
Filipino uh, movies. Uh, this is like a like Raw Force. That's like the, I think that's the, like mm. probably my favorite of the bunch. Um, that's what I've been watching lately. Um, but I do <clears> like uh, I like all sorts of films, but mostly like horror, action, comedy, that kind of stuff. Well, it's great to have you on. And like, I, I know the movies he talked about, like a lot of like exploitation, kind of schlocky 70s, 80s. I know for a lot of us, especially Curtis and Quinn, that's like great upper alley. So yeah, we did uh, that. We did the right that, spot. We, that's for we sure. We did that video nasties last week too. So that was, that that's was right. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Kind of going It's a nice kind of continuation of, those, yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah I, I read <laughs> the sheet on that. And I, unfortunately, I've only seen about half of those. So that gave me a nice list to work off of to uh, fill in some holes in my viewing. Cool. Well, uh, before we get into things, we uh, we usually start off, uh, especially nowadays, we start off talking about uh, additions we've made uh, to our watch list. Um, I know, Simon, you're joining us as a guest, so if you didn't have time to prepare for all this stuff, totally fine. Um, so you don't have to jump in if you don't have everything all uh, prepped up oh, and ready I, I, to talk I, I, about. I, I could give you five movies off the top of my head that I need. Sure, to why see. don't you kick us off then, Simon? What, right, what stuff um, have you added recently to your watch list? All right, it's super guilty. The Godfather. I've never seen oh. The Godfather. Oh, it's, uh, oh I just saw it recently myself. Too. Yeah, last I, month. I, yeah, the first I just time. need to carve out a nice three hours of time and sit yeah. down and watch it. Sometimes movies yeah. are much, much about my mood. A lot the of streaming times, age is hard for that too. It's just like yeah, I, I find att- like I end att- up watching att- movies and chunks. Spends. Attention yeah. spans. Yeah. 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 I. Uh, I, I, I have a, a Plex server with about sixteen hundred films on there, so I usually have something to cover everything. Um, so we have the Godfather. Uh, I've been wanting to see Tenenbrae. Uh, oh yeah, Argento film, uh, right? That I haven't yeah, that's seen. A great one. one of Curtis's favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that, I, I was inspired by the, um, <laughs> the list from the the video nasties episode that you guys did. The Boxer's Omen. anybody anybody seen that? No, I've got a, I've no, got never really, seen it. It's this uh, bad shit crazy uh, uh, Chinese. A martial arts movie with like magic and crazy special effects and stuff and um mm-hmm. i've got it on my list i've been looking to see it boxer's omen uh it's pretty out there from what i understand well that gives you three right there so cool um all right cool how about quinn how, did you add anything to your watch list uh, this week yeah um i added one film it's coming out at the end of the month it's called it's called decision to leave and uh, it's a Korean film. It's coming out in a couple of weeks on the 29th. And it's about a, a detective investigating a man's death in the mountains, meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his. So I don't know. It sounds pretty good. It looks good. It's a crime <laughs> drama mystery. Uh, romance cool, like, thriller. A, like a neo-noir kind of guess, eh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, done by a guy named Park Chan Wook. He, oh yeah, uh, old boy. Yeah, uh, did all the old, old he boy. He did old trilogy. boy. Yeah, and I, I saw old boy for the first time, maybe five or yeah, five months ago. I would say six months ago, and like I was blown away. Like it's incredible. So I already know he's a good filmmaker. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that. But cool. that's all that I have for for my added to watch list this week. I didn't know you had a new movie coming out. That's good to know. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped for it. Um, what about you, uh, John? 
Yeah, so I, I have three that I've added uh, recently to my list. Uh, the first one is I Stand Alone, which is a film by uh, Gaspar oh, Noé from 1998. Yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't really watched much of Gaspar Noé's filmography. I think I, I tried to watch a little bit of Irreversible like when <laughs> oh. I was like 16, 17, and I was just like, this is just so like making me feel gross. And oh. I kind of checked out. But I, I've, I've seen, I have a lot of people that I follow, especially on Letterboxd, who, who really are, are big fans of his works. And I've kind oh, of, I, I kind of want to like dip my he's toes back into it. a great filmmaker just really fucked up and you want to wash your hands afterwards. Yeah. So I, I decided to kind of start off checking out some of his early works. I think this is either his, I, this actually might not be his first feature film. I think this is maybe his second, but um, his early films, I think the first three in Irreversible kind of make up like kind of like a quasi trilogy. So uh, this one, my understanding is it's kind of almost like a kind of like French indie take on like Taxi Driver. So I'm kind of interested to try this one out and kind of dip my toes into this totally perverted sick man's filmography and you know maybe come out with some kind of actual appreciation for him uh, at least based on based on I actual watched, evidence and not i've watched eggs 20 so. times it's my favorite film oh my god yeah. <laughs> i love the i was watching the criterion closet uh, youtube uh, video and like he's i mean he's a great filmmaker brilliant he's like going through a lot of films and then he just pulls up sallow on dvd smiling he's just like oh, i love he, like, this is a good film i love it and i'm like i'm sure you do man <laughs> like i'm sure you love it <laughs> and uh and the, the second film on my list is by uh, uh, the director of one of my favorite movies of, uh, that I watched in 2020. Uh, I, I believe it came out in 2018, uh, Burning, uh, the director, uh, Lee Cheng Dong, uh, Peppermint Candy. Uh, this is one that came out in 1999. Uh, my understanding is the film is sort of told in almost like a reverse order. It follows this sort of like unlikable uh, male antagonist to, uh, I mean, spoilers, not really, because I don't even really know the movie, but I think he's like sort of on the verge of like committing suicide. And the film kind of goes through his life. And, and in turn, it's kind of depicting like kind of like a changing career. Uh, like the 90s and a lot of Korean films is kind of showing kind of a tumultuous time of like coming out of the 80s and like recession and kind of civil strife and the changes that happened in Korea um, through the 90s and kind of towards modernization that we have now. So it's kind of an allegory for that. And I'm kind of really interested again in that because I've heard uh, I've heard really good things and Burning is just fucking one of my favorite movies I've watched the last few years. So really excited to get to that. And then um, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of uh, all of John Cassavetes films, but I, I think he's a great filmmaker and I really want to watch Husbands from 1970. Uh, what can I say? Dude, classic dudes rock movie it's got him i think peter fox in it a few other guys um, <laughs> buddies reunite i guess the, the snopes of it kind of reminds me almost like big chill because it's like these buddies reunite because one of their uh, friends dies and then they kind of decided to just randomly sort of like abandon their families and go out of the town together and it kind of like follows these guys and their relationships and they're, they're kind of like <laughs> They're kind of like not totally likable guys like you know they got their own like kind of personal foibles but it's kind of exploring like male friendship and male bonding and and kind of our the the and masculinity and i'm really interested to check that out because i think you know john cassavetes is just a great filmmaker and i love his sort of just sort of naturalistic style and especially you know the film scene stuff he does with his wife gina Rowland. so really excited to check uh, that out uh how about yourself curtis what, what have you had recently yeah so i just had a couple of them too so uh, obviously i really want i'm a huge cronenberg fan and i'm so excited he uh, he's going back to body horror with uh, Crimes of the Future, so that's on my list. I just got to find a place to watch it. And uh, I heard yeah, that yeah. there's a lot of walkouts in the theater, so I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. So I like a good controversial movie too. So I'm excited to watch that. And they had a new one on Shutter. I thought it was with Joe Bob Briggs's show, but I think it's just some kind of weird one. It's called Demon Wind. It's probably fucking shit. But I have my my one of my best friends is in Shanghai, and we always sometimes we watch movies together. So he always like to watch shit movies. So we might watch this Demon Wind. I don't even know what the plot is. It just looks terrible. And <laughs> you just think of like the Bob Dylan song, <laughs> Idiot Wind. But yeah, but it's a, it's a demon. Wind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will possess uh, you. I've, I've seen it. It's not horrible and it's not great. <laughs> it's somewhere in between. So yeah, mid middling. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna. I I like to watch that, and then um. I also 
found another film on Shutter, A Lonely Place to Die. It's like one of these. Uh, it's a UK climbing movie. Um, so I, I, I think they find like a Serbian girl, and then people start to stalk them or something. Um, but it sounds kind of interesting. So those are my yeah. three. What did everyone? Um, what did everyone watch this week? What did you watch, John? Uh, I didn't watch much, so I, I'll, I'll just kind of uh, go through it. So um, I've finished Game of Thrones. Finally finished Game of Thrones. So I watched uh, I watched uh, season eight of Game of Thrones. Um, what can I say? Overall, I'll say that season seven, season eight, I thought the story overall was fine. Um, but I do agree with sort of the consensus that it did feel a little bit rushed. I mean, mm. the seventh season is about seven episodes. Season eight's about six. It really felt like it could have been like 10 episodes or like, yeah. I don't really disagree with the characterizations because I've seen, I mean, I guess we'll just kind of label this the spoiler corner because uh, yeah. I mean, it's the end of the show. I have to talk about it, but like, I, I remember because I, I know everything that was going on because when the show, I used to watch the show, as I mentioned before, I stopped watching season five um, and then I just kind of, you know, the water cooler ever with the office would talk about Game of Thrones. So I, I knew all the plot beats. I knew how it was going to end. I knew all the story, but like I, I kind of went in open, open eyes and that, you know, maybe I'll like it. I, I did think, you know, the, the score in that Daenerys got, you know, her characterization kind of becoming more of a villain. I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. dumb because by season six, she's already like, why don't we just like destroy everyone? It's like, you're really shocked that this character became like a villain, but yeah, um, man, it's always the there. Finale was probably one of the worst show endings I've ever seen in my life. Like just a total disaster. The, the oh. second last episode is actually pretty good. Cinematically, it looks um, phenomenal. I mean, the scenes where she's kind of flying the dragon through the city and there's just destruction and you're seeing, especially from, from Arya's perspective and you're really seeing kind of the pain and suffering and, you know, people just charred up and burn. It's really captivating and i loved the, the actress lena headley who plays cersei i loved her performance the last few seasons i thought she was probably my favorite character of the last um, few Fred Favre too yeah <laughs> was it no, was like, it was it Fred Favre? it was aaron Rodgers has a, a tiny little cameo as well aaron Rodgers. oh yeah and ed sheeran did too that was really nice and everyone hated on that i was like he's a beautiful voice it was actually giving like night showing the lannister army as like actual human beings i'm like they have souls souls. (laughs) yeah but like man that last episode i don't want to turn this into like those fucking shitty youtube videos where it's like what went wrong (laughs) but like man what a fucking just nightmare of a fucking ending because like you're, you're telling me like fucking brand and he's just like i was i why would i come otherwise i'm like are you fucking kidding me like i was just it was just a disaster like it was so yeah. bad and um, yeah, a I, I, I i don't regret watching the show i enjoyed a lot of it but man that that ending was just uh honestly a bit of a nightmare will you, um, will you i can watch never so rushed. i can never re-watch that show just knowing how <laughs> it ends like i i like recently I, tried I, yeah to, to be honest with you can't do it to be honest with you, like as I was watching the Game of Thrones, like I was like, yeah, it's good. I, I completely thought it was overrated, though, like from the jump. Like I saw the Red Wedding and people were like, oh, my God. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, like, I, read, I read the book, so I knew it was going to happen. So I wasn't shocked. And right. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I, I don't know why. I just I didn't have any like like there was only a couple times where I was like, that was crazy. Like other than that, I was just kind of like blah. And then like once the show ended, I was like fuck that show like yeah it's, it's, show. it's tough because i actually really like a lot of season eight especially the second episode was probably yeah. one of my favorites of the series where we well, it's kind of more of a quiet contemplative episode before you know this massive kind of you know cumulative battle and, and we're seeing characters just kind of expose themselves to each other mm-hmm. their emotions and it's really like touching like you know that when when brianne gets knighted i was getting choked up i'm like this is like a great episode and then i even i didn't even dislike the long night episode i know people kind of are, are picky on that but i thought it was really thrilling and captivating mm-hmm. um Cinematography. I, I just thought the, the final episode was just it, it just like it, it felt like 
they clearly just kind of ran out of steam, like whatever notes they got from, you know, George R. R. Martin, they kind of just used those notes up and then were kind of like, all right, it just felt like they kind of rushed through it. And it's kind of funny because I think Tyrion has a line where he's like, talk to me in 10 years. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's kind of a cue to like maybe 10 years from now, they'll do like a, a revamp or something. I don't know. It's just, it, it really left a sour taste in my mouth. Like it's just the way that it dealt with certain characters, especially John's character. Like, come on. It was just a, like, I mean, as as a showrunner and, and when you create shows, it's not your responsibility to do what your audience wants. You know, think of mm. the series finale, The Sopranos, famously a, a finale that pissed people off all across the world. Yeah. And now, oh, I hate that. Later, I hate that. I, I hate the ending. <laughs> yeah. Now, 15 years later, it's one of the best show finales of all time. It's universally praised. But I don't think that's going to be the case with the show. But I had a good time yeah. watching it, especially watching the we, first season and seeing how young they are and the, how they shape and evolve. Yeah, it's fun and to I watch the, the first the pilot. It's fun to watch the pilot, I think, after season eight, you know, just to see like how much changes. <laughs> Yeah, the first five seasons, I think, are again, are the strongest. I think after season mm-hmm. five, it, it kind of dips a bit. And then season eight, it really, like, the last episode is just will fucking you, uh, under the surface of the earth. Will, like, will you guys bad. watch uh, uh, House of the Dragon when it comes out? I'm going to watch it for sure, but I know yeah, a lot of people throw it on. Yeah. yeah, I guess yeah, we'll I see. I'll, 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 I'll still keep drinking that garbage in the words of the president. Yeah. <laughs> Soaking it in. <laughs> I did watch one movie this week, though. Otherwise, uh, rolled out to the cinema, baby, and I saw, uh, as my as is my Canadian duty, and saw the next uh, <laughs> David Cronenberg film, A Return to Sci-Fi Horror, which he's great at, uh, Crimes of the Future. Not to be confused with the 1970 Crimes of the Future, which is actually a completely different movie. I don't know why I reused the same title. Um, but nonetheless, um, really, really, really great movie. I, I mean, I, I loved it. Um, kind of funny that's being labeled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. I, it's kind of weird that's being labeled as like people you're gonna puke and shit yourself and piss. Your, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, I wouldn't say it's a walk in the park. There's a scene near the end that's like pretty, um, pretty intense and pretty controversial. But the subject matter, otherwise, like if you see Crash, I mean, this film in a lot of ways felt kind of like Crash too in its subject matter. Um, kind of if you think of Crash as the idea of like you know car fetishes and sex and, and being turned on by car accidents is like kind of depicting in the '90s like. Um, LGBTQ um, kind of alternative sexualities and having to hide in the darkness of mainstream society. This is almost like more in our kind of kind of current era of like where, where sexualities, alternative sexualities are like accepted. This is like a world, like an alternative dystopian future where, you know, this is the norm. In this case, it's a world where people have grown to not feel pain or get diseases. And so people kind of perform surgeries on each other for kind of pleasure. And, and um, in the case of uh, the two characters, uh, Leah Sidhu's character and uh, Vigo Mortensen is, uh, sorry, Leah Sidhu is, uh, uh, I think, uh, oh, Caprice and, and uh, Vigo Mortensen is uh, Saul Tenser is these like performance artists. And, and there's a great line from uh, Kristen Stewart plays this incredibly great horny bureaucrat. She's like surgery is the new sex. And it's very much like crash, but um, it's very kind of obtuse. It's, it's classic Cronenberg. If you loved Crash or Existence, it's, it's sort of like like those films, um, kind of very dark and hard to kind of get into. It kind of starts off in a really kind of intense prologue that kind of ties in later to the movie. But I was fucking, I, it, was, it was made for me. I love my it's, weird, it's, odd, it's nice, movies. It's nice to see Vigo again, too. So I haven't, like, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the film in a lot of ways felt kind of very autobiographical. I don't want to spoil too much, but like, especially uh, Saul Tensor, like the character that played by Viggo Mortensen, a lot of ways, physically and just sort of the way he is, this sort of kind of older performance artist that people in the world kind of 
are either kind of, you know, very reverent, reverential to and saying, you know, how much I love you and you're, you're the greatest artist in the world or, or kind of just like, you're such a fucking fraud or a reactionary conservative. And it, it kind of, to me, felt like it was, you know, David Cronenberg himself in this role. You know, he's pushing 80 now. And, you know, I think maybe he looks back on his career kind of feeling the same way. Like, am I kind of a fraud and a hack or, or maybe is there something else there? And it kind of felt like the film's obviously dealing with the idea of kind of uh, the body horror meets, meets sort of the, meets sort of arts. And so I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I agree. Great, great film and i mean you're not seeing movies like this anymore coming out in the cinema uh, especially uh, from someone like this you know the king uh, one of the kind of the founding fathers of body horror so i uh, had a great time with it i know it's probably going to get a limited theatrical run at least here in canada i think it's still out in a few cinemas so if any of you get it or anybody, anybody listening if you get a chance to go see it at the theater please do i, I expect it's going to be probably on rental and streaming probably within a week or two though so you can always catch it there but definitely check it out a uh, great film um, how about you, uh, Quinn? What did you uh, watch this week? So I only watched one um, one movie this week. I there was a couple of Tarantino films that my brother still hasn't seen, so I sat him down and made him watch The Hateful Eight. <laughs> good, good movie, good movie. It's oh, I I love the costumes. I love the set design of um, of the film. Very good, very good editing. The the directing is amazing. Tarantino's wicked. The only thing, though, is I find with this watch, I found it to be incredibly slow. The Hateful yeah, Eight. That's, it's that's like, the problem I had with it, too. It felt very slow. It's slow as shit. And it's like it's just under three hours long. And it's like, OK, captures your attention for a little bit. And then like like maybe I was doing this because I've already seen it. But like I found myself on my phone and just kind of like holy shit, we're only an hour into this. Like it's just it's dragged out. And I think I think that the hateful eight could have been condensed a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, um, that's a long running time for like a feature length film. You know, it's that's a yeah. lot. Yeah, of... I think and in the like theaters some, it got an intermission too. Some movies, like like you'll notice when you watch uh, the Godfather, Simon. Um, you know, it's also a really long movie, three hours yeah. or whatever too. But it uh, every scene that hooks you in. Goes, I think. Yeah, it goes by fast because like it's really good dialogue and it's like really good filmmaking and stuff where like the first like half an hour of the hateful eight is just like that doesn't need to be there that doesn't need to be there that does not need to be there at all even though it is a little bit of character development i just found it sort of like i, I think it, i think he squeezed too much juice out of that lemon unfortunately but it is a good <laughs> good film the shocking moments are definitely shocking the crazy sh- blood shooting tarantino style uh definitely we get a good dose of that so that's all i watched this week but have you watched i just had a quick recommendation for you quinn have you watched the great silence i think it's a sergio cabrucci film it's like it's uh from the 70s i think and there's any more corny does the score too it's really really good oh yeah great silence i haven't i'll send you a link for it it's 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 a great way kind of nihilistic but it's really good and same like it has like snowy landscapes too it's it's really good one of my favorites okay I guess one of his yeah, influences no. for the movie, so I think maybe you'd like it for sure. Uh, definitely, man. I'll definitely check it that check that out. Um, what about you though, Curtis? What'd you watch? Uh, so I watched a couple things this week. So the first thing I watched, um, I watched this Netflix uh, docu series. It was called uh, "Keep Sweet, uh, Pray and Obey." I'm agnostic, but I always like watching these like kind of weird ass cult uh, religious extremism docuseries and this one is about uh, the Jeffs, uh, Rulin and Warren Jeffs and uh, they, they started this kind of extreme offshoot of the uh, Mormons in Utah 
uh, called the uh, Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints Church. And they were kind of uh, criminally investigated too for uh, pedophilia, basically underage marriage and stuff. And it just gets, it interviews, it's very kind of victim focused narrative and it interviews like the, uh, the members. And it just shows really how these kind of cults and religious extremism are quite misogynistic and uh, controlling and manipulative too. And just how, kind of how awful these, <laughs> these uh, kind of, uh, Prophets really were to uh, so there's a nice companion piece to uh, that they released a couple of years ago called Prophets Pray, which is on the same topic. This one gets into more detail. I thought it was really good. Sometimes the Netflix, uh, you know, true crime can be you have that Netflix gloss as we've talked about, but this was a pretty good one too. I think you know sometimes Netflix really nails the uh, true crime stuff. So this is just a really good watch. It's four episodes. Doesn't take too long to watch. So I watched that uh, within a couple of days. And then I watched, I started watching, uh, I'm really happy the the new season of The Boys is out, season three. And I love that show. It's kind of cool. It's um, basically like this group of vigilantes going against the superheroes and the superheroes are kind of like, they have this public image being great, but they're actually kind of narcissistic and psychopathic and evil. So the vigilantes are the good guys and the uh, superheroes, the bad guys. So very subversive too. I like those kind of revisionist superhero stuff. Um, so that's really good. And then uh, the last one I started watching was a, where I watched was a movie on uh, Shudder called What Keeps You Alive. Um, really interesting. It's about, um, it's a queer film and it's these, uh, this lesbian couple and they go to the woods to celebrate their one year anniversary and then weird shit starts happening. And I mean, not to give too much away, but um, one of them finds out that the other is uh, kind of uh, psychopathic and they, she tries to kill her partner. And it's really interesting too, because it makes you kind of, you know, just when you think you know, uh, you know, relationships sometimes, you know, there's, there's another side to the person that you might not know. And I think um, it's interesting that it's a queer film too, because I think that adds another layer to it too, because especially in the, the queer community too, you know, they're, they live in this kind of heteronormative society too. So to have like uh, that uncertainty about, you know, is this person loyal to me or whatever the case may be too, or maybe, you know, um, they'll, they'll reject me or something too. It kind of adds a layer of anxiety to the film. So it was really well done. It's a Canadian film. Uh, came out a couple of years ago on Shutter. Really, really well done. What did you watch this week, Simon? Um, I haven't watched a lot. Um, I like I tend to watch the same movies over and over again. But oh, that's okay. I did. <laughs> I I got about half last night. I got halfway through the unbearable weight of massive talent. It's the mm-hmm. uh, Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage movie, and um, from what I've seen of it, it's pretty darn funny. Um, he he plays himself, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and he does. He does what you would think he would do (laughs) i gotta finish that up tonight but uh i was having a good time with it all right well that gets us into our uh topic du jour so we're back of course on our john carpenter beat uh before we get into the movie kind of itself um i'm sure a movie that we all loved and you know thought was one of his best um (laughs) i kind of want to just kind of give a high level kind of overview of you know where are we so to kind of take us back um john carpenter of course made uh big trouble little china was his last real studio film and was an acclaimed film mostly later in years uh, but was a commercial flop same with one of his earlier films the thing a film that was a studio film that he had a lot of kind of creative control over it was one of his kind of passion projects um, was a critical and commercial bust again though years later became much more popular and so he kind of went independent for a while he decided he wanted to do his own thing he made two independent films uh, they live and prince of darkness uh, which were lower budget did kind of okay made their money back but otherwise you know were, were critically acclaimed for the times um, but in this case uh, he did come back uh, to direct 
another studio film. Um, however, this film was actually um, in a little bit of studio hell. So the film, of course, that we're talking about is uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, sorry, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, uh, the 1992 film. Um, of course, this film is actually based on Harry F. Saint's uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man uh, book written in 1987. Uh, before the book was done, Chevy Chase had actually read the book and was very interested in the book. And so Warner Brothers acquired the rights to it. Uh, for people listening at home who are a bit younger, aren't really tuned into like 80s, like hard to, hard to, you know, hard to really say how like massive of a star Chevy Chase was in like the 70s and 80s, like probably yeah, mid, that was like late 80s. Fresh out of like Fletch. S- S- SNL and, and, and Christmas Vacation too, right? So well, well, Fletch specifically, yeah, like, Fletch. he was just like a massive star, probably like the biggest comedian in the planet. I mean, this was also like, the mm-hmm. same year that he got his, you know, infamous Chevy Chase show, his like talk show that just totally flopped. And this kind of without getting too far ahead this kind of really started off kind of the downside of chevy chase's career because he he made this and made a kind of a a suite of kind of really crappy films that really kind of tanked his career um but in this time chevy chase was actually kind of trying to push himself he really was not unlike his kind of frenemy bill murray who he himself uh, had made like scrooge and then groundhog day and was kind of trying to kind of push himself to be more of like a dramatic more serious actor Chevy Chase himself kind of wanted to become more of like a serious uh, director so this film was actually attached uh, to Ivan Reitman um, and also the script was written by you know the great William Goldman um, but Chevy Chase had kind of lots of interference in it um, you know Chase kind of viewed it as like his Murray Groundhog Day project and um, something about kind of more a little bit more detached looking kind of the loneliness of being invisible and and Ivan Reitman kind of wanted to do kind of more of just a straightforward comedy um, there was a lot of kind of tension and eventually uh, Reitman and Goldman left the film. Um, later, Richard Donner was also attached to it. But finally, our, our man himself, JC, ended up attached to this film. Uh, Chevy Chase actually kind of sought him out. He was a fan of his work. So he said, uh, let's get him involved. And so John Carpenter ended up into this film. Um, he had kind of, again, as mentioned, he had had a few legal disputes with uh, Alive Films. That was the studio he did with, uh, the distributor he did with They Live. Um, he had a bunch of projects on the go. He had like a share led film that didn't work out. He was at one point attached to direct Halloween three, uh, sorry, uh, Exorcist three, which is kind of wild. Cause uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a great film, great sequel, great film, but kind of hard to imagine John Carpenter directing that. And also uh, he also was going to direct the Dracula movie, um, which didn't work out either. Um, so at the time, although kind of funny cause he ended up doing vampires in I think 98. So kind of ended up would going back to vampires eventually. Um, so at the time he was independent, but he was appealing, you know, was appealed by the idea of getting kind of back involved in studio films, a chance to kind of get back into, you know, being kind of a more established uh, filmmaker. Um, so, you know, Chase really appealed to him. You know, they worked collaboratively to kind of work on the script together, uh, kind of framed it as sort of like North by Northwest meets Starman, which I really clued into because this film, especially the second second half of it, is almost like Starman 2.0. It's yeah. just like a road film. Well, I, th- I um, thought it was going to be like the HGOL short story, the, the Invisible Man. So I was all excited. And then it was like something totally different. It was a different book altogether. Right. So I, yeah. I kind of took taken by surprise, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. And so like, I mean, this film, why don't we just get into it? I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. I, to me, I mean, with respect to Dark Star, which was, you know, not a great film, but a student film. And I think really well done. Mm-hmm. And Elvis, which we watched the TV cut, which I think was just way too long. I bet you the theatrical cut's just a tighter film. This is probably like the first real big Carpenter dud. I just didn't really like this film. I mm-hmm. thought it was kind of kind of Yeah, Qu- 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 Quinn and I hated this one. But what did you yeah, think of it, Simon? I, uh, I, I bought... I bought the VHS a while ago when we started to do the uh, the watch series. So I told myself, I'm like, oh, I'll just wait until we get to it and then I'll just watch it on VHS. So I did. 
I got about half an hour into this movie. I turned yeah, it off. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, this is not John Carpenter. I couldn't get into it. I I shut it off. I like went upstairs and I'm like, I should watch a little bit more, turn on some more, and I just couldn't do it. Like I was just, yeah, <laughs> you know I, I, I suffered through movie, it. Yeah. Give this movie a, another chance eventually, but yeah, I I think I think this is Carpenter's worst film. Like, and I guess I can't say that until I watch the whole thing, but. I'm just being honest. I couldn't sit through it. I I, I really oh. liked. Uh, I was really happy to see Sam Neill in it too because I love Sam Neill and just he was one of the highlights yeah. for me too. I liked the direction. The script was shit, but I mean, like, I love seeing Sam Neill in anything is is great by me. You know. Yeah. yeah uh, even as a bad guy, uh, he's he always shines through. Um, I think the, the problem I had with it was Chevy Chase was just so indifferent, kind of yeah. like. Um, uh nothing but trouble remember his performance in there he kind of just yeah. showed up it was yes. kind of the same thing and it, this character we didn't i don't really have anything to root for i mean he wasn't funny he wasn't lovable his his ultimate dream was to become a bigger yuppie remember there's a little yeah. dream, dream sequence where he he gets all he wants and it's just yuppie stuff yeah. so you, you kind of lose out right away in the beginning of the movie when you you can't find any redeeming qualities or any reason why you want to root for this guy and yeah, his yeah. performance on top of that is just crap yeah, yeah part, part of the yeah i didn't realize that chevy like what I, I i i saw in your notes there too john but what i didn't realize about chevy chase is that he was just such a terrible person to work with like he's so great on on oh, the set to, to that's see a on... pretty common current through with yeah Chevy but Chase, like notorious every, everything asshole he's a, yeah he's a complete asshole like i would i would like klaus kinski i would shoot him on if he was in my movie i wouldn't want him on my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't want to turn into this whole episode to a fuck chevy chase but like if, especially if you read like live from new york the kind of the oral history of snl like chevy chase from his starting role in snl where he became like the de facto star of that show and then through to you know post community he's just always been just a total fucking asshole and at his worst was just a total raging alcoholic too and i think like this was probably him at almost his nadir and i think that's one of the as you guys are mentioning it's one of the big issues of this film is that his character nick holloway is just um really detached isn't really likable his whole relationship with uh daryl hannah's character who's weirdly named alice monroe like the canadian author i thought that was kind of a weird kind of weird <laughs> moment but they have this whole like relationship that just feels so forced as a natural like the the whole story is like nick is this sort of like yuppie stock analyst and then um he's sort of this guy he's like really flighty it's kind of like almost like a bill murray type character from like scrooge or something he's just a capitalist guy like has no friends kind of brusque he's a womanizer and then he's at this like country club and he meets runs into this girl there but they don't really have they just i can't remember what he does he makes some offhand joke just kind of like ha 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 and then like the next scene is them making out like it's so it feels so goddamn forced yeah they just uh, jump on each other Yeah. Oh, what, what I did like, though, is when the film kind of builds to is that, you know, Nick's really like, I think he's like hungover. He goes to this like uh, office building nearby at this like little laboratory place and he takes a nap. But at the same time, the laboratory technicians kind of fuck up. I think they spill like a cup of coffee or something. And then it sets off this huge reaction, which ends up um, turning like you see the building is almost like partially invisible. It almost looks like a piece of like Swiss cheese. There's like half of the building is obfuscated and kind of invisible. And it's kind of honestly a little bit of a great moment where Chevy Chase kind of looks at himself and he's it's kind of floating in the sky and because he's sitting on the floor that's not got no nothing and and he's totally invisible and i think the special effects to the credit are actually quite good with this i mean this film had like a 40 million dollar budget like for its time in 93 really really generally good special effects with the kind of visible visible work but one of the problems is that like most of the movie is he's not even visible because it's just like you have to kind of show his reactions and stuff so it's like they just show him as himself and and famously like 
Chevy Chase hated fucking wearing the like makeup that they would use to kind of do the invisible effects. So, you know, they'd be preparing kind of like all day makeup sessions and then they would go to film the scenes and then he would rub them off. And, and John Carpenter famously like really fucking hated working with both Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah. Um, there's actually a, a story that apparently he got so mad that he took a clipboard and just smashed it over his knee and mm. broke it uh, because he was so fed up. He hated the fact that, um, it's actually his, this was his least favorite movie to make um he just he fucking hated working on this thing um he didn't like the fact that he had no control i mean this is the first carpenter film and how many where we don't get the classic like carpenter font title sequence of you know, john carpenter's xyz it's it's just totally it feels like he wasn't even really Alan involved Smithy, in this. yeah <laughs> yeah i think yeah, exactly. i think that's where to be honest i think that's where i got my because like we've always said with other carpenter films like right from the credits right when they first start you know it's carpenter you know it's like you get the pulsing score you get the cool synth you get the cool font you get all this and when this didn't have that i would just it just like it just didn't feel like carpenter now i will say the film itself i can tell the way it's filmed it is stylistically filmed like other carpenter movies in the past yeah, like starman certainly it feels like the second half is right. just ripping off starman pretty much right <laughs> but but yeah like i just just from the get-go i was just like oh like i'm sure i i was thinking about this in my head i'm like i'm sure if carpenter could delete one from his discography it'd be this because this is not it's just not carpenter didn't feel like a carpenter movie to me well, I can tell you that, that going into tonight, I didn't know it was a Carpenter film. I just mm-hmm. realized that when reading yeah, it, it has like an identity it crisis. After watching, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's not like it's not funny enough to be a comedy. It's yeah. not really serious enough. I, I really, my favorite moment was probably the kind of near the beginning when he kind of does become invisible and he kind of escapes from kind of the this kind of CIA operatives and, uh, and Sam Neill's character and Steven Toblowski, who he's always in a comedy role. So it's kind of funny seeing him in kind of like a villain role sort of, but he escapes from them and then they're trying to go after him. It's a great sequence where he's kind of escaping through an apartment and he's trying to kind of hide in like a hallway. And those <laughs> scenes were so good and, and thrilling, but it just like, they never really committed. Like if they wanted to kind of go full action, I was into that, but then they would kind of segue to comedy kind of vignettes and stuff like his whole really, really plotting the whole sequence when he goes to the fucking um, little San Francisco beach house where uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael McKean's character, George is there with his like wife that he basically like date rapes in the sand or something fucking dirt. it's so fucked and then there's that stupid obnoxious friend who's like oh well where is so alice his voice was so fucking grating it's so stupid i was like who the fuck is this guy this can't be his real voice i guess it was so snooty and fucking blue i didn't miss too much didn't miss too much i guess but while but while the guy with the long hair yeah yeah the guy with the kind of like yeah he was grating he was very grating I mean, it was intentional, but it was just like, like, who the fuck is this guy? He's like, oh, well, Alice has been in her room the whole time. I was just like, I couldn't like this guy was so fucking goofy. Like, why are these guys even friends? Like, I don't understand. Right. Like, I don't there's no relationship established. It's it's really just an excuse to, you know, create a bit of tension because Nick's there and he has to kind of hide. And uh, yeah, um, it's, uh, I think they're trying to do kind of like a trading places thing where yeah, his his ex-girlfriend still hanging out with the same group of people and they're still assholes yeah you know. we do get great like moments like when he's playing tennis and he's wearing the tennis clothes but it's just like the ghost hitting yeah. the board and when he's jogging on the beach i really love those moments and i kind of wish it leaned to that more especially when it kind of becomes a little bit of just like a starman film where he's trying to escape to mexico and you know there's that great scene sequence when they're in the rain and we see like the water effects on him and and even the scenes where like he's kind of getting made up and 
it's kind of a callback to the classic 50s invisible man where he's got like the big mm. fedora and the goggles but yeah. really fucking terrible later in the movie where um he's trying to escape and alice gets picked up by a taxi driver it's fucking chevy chase and fucking like brown face full <laughs> turban and fucking brown makeup i was like this is like honestly reprehensible like for a carpenter film to have fucking brown face in it i was like this is pretty uh fucking gross um my only i guess my only like aside would be like i guess audiences back then while they would know blackface was bad they would be like any other ethnicity is fine yeah, it's, a, it's a reagan of, government but, who fucking knows <laughs> but um i will say another good part of this was the score which i thought was really good um interestingly enough chevy chase had been at an orchestra and had met uh, shirley walker and actually had tagged her to compose for this film this was the first major hollywood studio film uh, to feature uh music totally composed by a woman and, and shirley walker would actually come back and and do the music for escape from la so pretty cool and, and i think reading about her story uh, making films and music like pretty pretty interesting stuff so i really enjoyed her kind of work in this i thought the music was one of kind of the the highlights and i really love sam neill and as much as fucking carpenter hated working with uh, daryl hannah and chevy chase he kind of bonded with sam neill because he was someone that took things seriously they kind of struck up a little bit of a friendship and this would actually pay off because he would end up becoming close friends with him and then would reach out to him uh to work on one of his later films in the mouth of madness which we'll talk about of course uh, at a later episode um but otherwise, um, yeah, there's not much here. I like, I thought the ending was really fucking cool. I mean, I don't want to spell too much, but the whole um, him holding the jacket in the air is like a little kind of diversion. But I'm like, why would you not just like shoot the jacket or something if you're trying to kill this guy? Like, uh, I don't know. It's just, it felt so contrived. But uh, oh, it, was, uh, it all happened all at once. And all of a sudden, the movie was over. And now that's all I remember now. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Until Blasco's character's like, yeah, just leave Alice. Just forget about it. I'm like, really? Like, You're going to like, it, it, this it guy is no. <laughs> it goes from the guy falling off the ledge to end of the movie in like three seconds. And yeah, it was it's a bit jarring. It feels like they didn't I, quite finish it. I guess this is more of a question for Simon. Maybe. Like, what would you change about this movie if we were going to like, you know, we talked about what we did like about it. Like, if we could improve on this film, like, what would we really want to change? I think um, the leading this? guy. I think I think you get somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody funny like Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, or frankly, like Kurt Kurt Russell, who I think in all of John Carpenter's films is such a rugged everyman, but super fucking hilarious in almost all his roles. Yeah, um, I think that, would be, that would be that would be a lot, lot easier to work with too, apparently. Oh. Yeah, uh, uh, I think it's my vote. I did though love Donald Lee, who was in a big Big Trouble Little China. He played the one that he played one of the buddies there. Um, he's in this as a taxi driver, and that's Aww. actually a really fucking funny scene where Chevy Chase fucking knocks out the guy. He's holding the guy up. He's like taxi, <laughs> and he like drags <laughs> that, him to the. That fucking... was a funny part. <laughs> he's like, you see his body like literally being dragged, and he like throws him in, and he's like starts to wake up. He's like, what? What? He punches him again. He just like knocks him out. He's like, oh, take me to whatever street. I thought that that was actually pretty funny. Um, there are moments where you're like, oh, yeah, Chevy Chase is actually super fucking funny because, I mean, the guy is just a great fucking physical comedian. I mean, one of the best um, whenever he goes like, you know, classic Chevy. It's actually funny, although sometimes it's kind of dumb because there's a scene where he's like, you know, he's invisible, but he's eating Chinese food, but he's having a hard time eating because he can't see his hands. But I'm like close your hands and try to eat everyone can do that it's fucking human sensations like you don't need to see your hands or tools to eat them like i, I thought that was kind of dumb but it was kind of silly because he's like trying to shove noodles in his mouth and it's spilling everywhere but yeah i think i think chevy in particular was kind of a, a negative and i think like overall i think of I, I just felt like the relationship between him and, and 
and Alice's character, Daryl Hannah's character was just, it really didn't even really need to be there. It just felt so contrived. And it was like rushing through something. Starman is like very much more of a serious romance. Like it focuses specifically on these two characters, gives a lot of time to really explore and give characterization to Alice's character before the movie even really kicks off when she's in the house and watching, you know, reels and reels of her, you know, deceased husband and then resurrected as this man. And then we get the long kind of sequences at the beginning, like kind of really builds up to that. In this case, they they shack up and then they, they don't see each other for hours and then they're back to, or not, not hours, but minutes in the film and then they're back together again. And it's, it just felt so. Um, it didn't she make said sense. she had like another date or something and nothing ever came yeah. out of it. Um, so she was gone for like half an hour from movie time for no real reason. It feels like the, maybe there was a different, there was going to be a little subplot going on yeah. with her and ex-boyfriend or something that never materialized. Yeah. And uh, overall, like this was a troubled film. No surprise. This movie was another total fucking bust. It made, I think um, on a budget of 40 million, only 14 million um, didn't make good reviews. Uh, people like the kind of special effects a bit. Ebert thought the effects were very spirited. He liked the little relationship between Alice and Nick as Ebert tends to do. But um, otherwise, like people were really down on, frankly, John Carpenter's work on this film, the direction, the script. And uh, this did get released on later DVD and Blu-ray, but Otherwise, it's kind of forgotten. There, there's uh, yeah. really been no attention to this film, which I, 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 I want to uh, say is a shame, but not really. The special effects seem to range from, you know, hat on a string to mm. something much more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, some of the effects look really horrible. Like, okay, you can tell that, you know, there's nothing underneath that sheet or whatever. But yeah. uh, but some of them were really, really well done. Um, this is before we we're using computers too much i think maybe that the rain scenes a little cgi there i didn't mind the hokey special effects that much because it did remind me of like again like the classic 50s sure uh, visible man movies that it's kind of this movie's really kind of being referential to kind of almost like noir thriller kind of style films that i thought that that stuff it kind of invoked that and it was kind of fun but it didn't really do enough with that like it, I wish you know it didn't, totally was it didn't more... carry that tone throughout the whole movie i think you kind of need to Chevy Chase to be on board with, with that tone and being a goofy comedy when he's just his character's just about being a super yuppie. Yeah, so I think otherwise we weren't really we were really that into it. But the Curtis the Quid, did you guys have any other thoughts on this uh, movie? Um, yeah, well, I think one thing you mentioned too is Sam Neill as the villain too. I think that was really an interesting kind of choice with it too. Obviously, you know, we've seen him in Jurassic Park and uh, you know, possess we talked about possession last week too, where he's kind of kind of like the protagonist, I guess. But like, it's interesting to see him as a villain too. And I thought that was an interesting choice. I don't know if it worked as well because I didn't watch the whole movie. But um, what did you guys think? Did you guys like him as the- I liked him, yeah. I thought he yeah, was good. I mean, I, I I, mean, Sam Neill's been an antagonist in a few movies. I mean, he was yeah, also Damien. Event, 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 so. event Horizon, he's kind of the villain, isn't he? Kind of. Oh yeah, he's definitely, yeah, he's a yeah, villain yeah. in that movie. Yeah. He often plays like villains that kind of start off initially kind of- nice and kind of sweet and then you kind of see them descend um mm. but i thought he was he was pretty good in this movie always felt kind of cool and control and you like especially the beginning you don't really know if he actually is like someone you could trust or or if he's someone who just wants to kill kill nick and and kind of get it over with um but like watching him i thought like it, it had led to some of the kind of the best parts of the movie and i kind of wish that the way he kind of got killed off in the movie was just kind of a bit of a downer it was just like he kind of deserved more than that. Uh, but it is kind of cool that he was in this film and that, you know, that this would lead later to In the Mouth of Madness, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is a, a very good film. Mm. So, um, but I, I appreciate him. I thought he, I thought he did okay in this film. Yeah, I agree too. I think, I think he was the best part about it for me. Mm -hmm. um, 
Chevy Chase is kind of a hit or miss for me. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes I just, I don't know, I can't really get into his acting. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about this movie. I will revisit it, though, and I will watch it in its entirety eventually. But I just had a Maybe really hard time it. with this one. It'd be like five stars, underrated classic. Yeah, hey, but that's the thing, though. It's like, that, that's kind of like, because my... My score is very low, spoiler alert. But it's uh you know, it's not really fair because I, I didn't finish. I didn't finish it. Yeah. So I, mean, I think we saw we saw enough, I think. Yeah, I guess, but you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I gotta I gotta be well. Better. Why don't we get into then our rankings then? Well, Quinn and Curtis, why don't you guys start us off with your detailed um very <laughs> positive rankings on this film? <laughs> so um I gave it a one out of five. <laughs> Me too. Blah, blah, blah. This is, I don't know. I, I mean, again, it's technically not fair for me to make this comment, but the worst Carpenter movie I've ever seen, like his, That's it's fair. his worst, you know, like each director has their best film and their worst film. This is his worst film. I believe that I've seen um, still have a few to watch that I haven't seen just yet, but um, you know, this isn't this isn't big trouble in little china this isn't the thing for me this not important at all very forgettable very just but uh yeah curtis <laughs> yeah I, I gave it a one too <laughs> obviously it's not the worst thing i've ever seen i mean it's not like the august underground movies or anything um but uh yeah i think it was just it was just a misfire on all levels too like i mean i like the some of the direction i like john carpenter obviously i, I love sam neill i think Chevy Chase is great and I think maybe because I had read all those things about Chevy Chase being an asshole to work with that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth him and Daryl Hannah and I just picture them like bickering on set and I'm like oh fuck I can't stand actors and uh yeah and I, I don't know it, it just didn't work for me too and as I said too I love the concept of the invisible man I think that's one of my favorite H.G. Wells uh stories but um obviously it's it has different source material here but I yeah it just it didn't work and I, again it's not the worst film I've ever seen but I really I just, I don't know. I just, I felt really bored with it. What did you guys think? Um, well, I mean, I gave it two and a half. I, I didn't think it was that terrible. I, I, I mean, out of the films we've seen so far, Brett Carpenter, it's probably my least favorite, but uh, I do think it's fairly competent. I, I think um, the performances are fine. It's, it's got kind of a pretty interesting plot. I love the special effects in it. I think they're pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, the kind of memoir plot framing was kind of pointless though. I mean, it just, it felt like Blade Runner where it's like Harrison Ford just totally fucking phoning it in post-production of reading it. That's kind of what it felt like in this, but um, it just felt a little bit haphazard. Um, some of the performances were okay. Chevy Chase did Hannah's performance and their kind of romance was just so hackneyed and, and not very good and it, again the film felt a little bit confused what it wanted to do um, there didn't really wasn't enough kind of Carpenter flourishes I mean I'm sometimes I don't like when directors put too much of their shtick into it sometimes it kind of really exposes some of their kind of gimmicks but uh, you know you watch something like Big Trouble Little China and you get like all of Carpenter you get like assault on precinct 13 in spades with like the fucking running through the hallways and the tight corners and and this one like I wasn't really getting much of really any of his style I felt really workman and it was a bit disappointing that he was so um kind of overrun by the actors in this but uh yeah it was it was competent enough I mean the special effects alone probably gave this a, a, a quite a big boost for me um I don't know if I have really had much intention to ever revisit this though maybe if there's a fun uh, kind of carp I love Carpenter's uh, commentaries especially the ones he does with Kurt Russell where they're both drunk and like having beers I wish he would just do one with Kurt Russell even though he's not in the movie and they just shoot the shit like shitting on this movie I would I would watch that in a heartbeat so um that's the only time I'd maybe rewatch this movie uh so two and a half uh, out of five for me um how about you Simon I give it one uh one out of five Ooh. 
Um, the only I remember seeing it on HBO as a kid. Um, I don't I didn't remember much specific because there's not really a lot of memorable moments, but it was kind of nice to revisit it. And uh, hell, I forgot that was even a Carpenter movie. So, um, and I'm a I'm a big uh, uh, Chevy Chase fan as well. Uh, just not of this era of his uh, career for sure. Uh, this is one of many stinkers that he he's been part of. Hmm. So the three of you gave it a one. I gave it two and a half. This gives us a one point four out of five. <laughs> Oof! <laughs> you need to have some little like, soundboard sound effects, like a, like a pizza <laughs> or something. Yeah, we should come up with like a term like this one's a stinker, folks. Like this is a seat struck stinker. I don't know. Something. Roger we would say we your, movie, your movie sucks. You know? <laughs> two yeah. thumbs down. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. We definitely gotta get a soundboard, something like that going. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. R two D two screaming or something. Yeah. Wow. If you're a sucker for Chevy Chase early '90s comedies, if you love Invisible People, anything, if Hollow Man made you laugh and cry and and I don't know other emotions, uh, maybe check this out. And if you're a Carpenter completionist, check this out. Otherwise, uh, it's kind of, it's not essential, but uh, yeah, that was uh, Memoirs of Invisible Man. Uh, however, next uh, Carpenter episode, uh, we're talking kind of an interesting one. Um, it's called Body Bags. This one is actually a little bit of an anthology film that was uh, directed by John Carpenter, but also actually co-directed with Toby Hooper. So he did one of the sequences too, although the film is kind of mostly credited to, to Carpenter. Um, and it's actually kind of billeted on the trailers, like John Carpenter's Body Bags. So going to talk about that one and kind of the three, I think, little short films in there. And that should be pretty fun. Uh, it's one that was actually supposed to be a little kind of Tales from the Crypt series on Showtime, which ended up becoming a movie. Um, kind of Carpenter and kind of his 90s wave, he kind of really slid into his, you know, I'm the master of horror, but not really directing anything anymore type kind of phase. Um, and I think next episode we'll be doing my canon series uh, pick, I think, on West, West Side, Side Story. Story the, 19, yeah. the 1961 the, musical. The OG, <clears throat> OG West Side Story. <laughs> which I love. One of my favorite movies. Excited to talk about it. Was writing notes about it and getting like really into it. So I'm like, I can't wait to watch it. I might watch <laughs> it like tomorrow. Who knows? Maybe yeah. tonight. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But uh, very excited to talk about that one. Um, and also, Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Really great yeah, to have you on. Simon, we yeah, love having you. Time. And if you want to come on any time, man, we'd, lo we'd love to have you. If you want to come on next week or a future episode, just let us know. Yeah, come on thank whenever you, you want. You. And also, um, if there's a movie that you really love, like one of your favorites, we would love to kind of bring you on and talk about it too. We love having guests on and kind of- Actually, you know what? Speaking, uh, speaking of that, um, yeah, really cool to have you on, Simon. But I am dying to watch Mandy because my other oh, friend- uh, I'm, oh, I'm, dying, great, I'm dying to talk about Mandy. I got notes and everything. I mean- Okay, because- no, We should do a Mandy my, episode. My, yeah. buddy, oh, okay. my buddy called me one night, was like, you have Shutter, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, go on there, watch Mandy. Joe Bob did it. And oh, Mandy, like, Mandy's great, man. I think you really like it. Yeah, and he's he's just like you, Simon. It's like one of his favorite movies. He swears by it, but I just haven't got around to it. So I might watch the Joe Bob one. We sh you should come back on. We'll do Mandy at some point. You can come on and uh... I'd, I'd love to. I could talk Mandy all night. <laughs> okay, I'd, sweet. I'd, I'd love to do that. Oh, uh, by the now. way, he's uh, he's got another movie in the works. Finally, yeah um panos cosmatos uh he teamed up with another writer and they're working oh. on something yeah I, I didn't see his first movie but I've, I've heard like the one that came before mandy was a, quite a good film so i'll uh, be on the black rainbow um yeah, yeah exactly it's him. uh it, it's it's a trip man it's it's a real trip he yeah he's he's a visual story storyteller 
um but it uses some pretty darn pretty damn good music as well um i d- highly recommend the, the, the beyond the black rainbow yeah cool awesome cool yeah um anything uh curtis quinn you guys want to uh, plug or mention um uh, no, no. Um, i'm excited to see west side story for the first time so <laughs> oh man west side so i i actually have that on blu-ray too i gotta find that in one of the oh, you've never seen it before curtis no, I haven't actually. I haven't watched the new one oh, or the Jesus. old one. So oh, yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll dive in blind. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like a huge musical guy. Like I like some, this, this one's wicked. And I heard the new one's really good. I think yeah. Spielberg did it. Eh? Yeah, he did. So yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It's I gotta, very, I gotta, it's get, very uh, aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see the characters in the next uh, um, ready player one movie or whatever, like the Steven Spielberg universe, whatever Maria answers the movie. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anything uh, you want to plug or mention, uh, Simon? Um, no, I had a good time tonight. It's my first uh, po- podcast, and you guys are a yeah. great crew to talk, talk movies. Yeah, yeah. and you too. Uh, it was kind of a shitty movie to talk about. It's like, oh, he's coming <laughs> yeah. on for fucking. Like, we'll, 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 we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get Mandy. We'll I'll make uh, up you, for it. <laughs> you had me set watch something that I totally didn't remember, and that was worth it. <laughs> I guess uh, for plugs in my end, um, on my on my Substack, JohnnyCakes.substack.com, I wrote the first part one of like my favorite movies I watched 2021. I'm super late. I have been working on part two. I just haven't had time to finish it. I was busy all weekend. Um, I got some time midweek. I might try to kind of crank that out. So that's coming. I'm not going to be a huge surprise because if you've listened to these, what we watched, I've already kind of talked about a lot of these movies kind of offhand. So uh, but if you like reading my stuff, it, it'll be there. Um, kind of going through the honorable, honorable mentions right now. I mentioned a little bit of TV and stuff too. And uh, also check out my other podcasts at Domestic Pints Only, where we drink great and review beer. Uh, we just did an episode, uh, two episodes recently, did a craft brewery in Edmonton. And we also did an episode on White Claw, uh, the tea, the teas, the uh, carbonated tea beverages. Alex came back for that, which was great to have him back on. So we we drank some of those yesterday and, and shot the shit. It was pretty fun. So uh, check that podcast out. And uh, yeah, otherwise, folks, we'll uh, we'll see you all again next week. Uh, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you all again soon.